love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. So, good afternoon and welcome to East Leeds FM. You're listening to Love the Words and we're in Studio 2 of Chapel FM Arts Centre. I'm in the company of some wonderful people who I've been working with over the road and they're going to tell tell us who they are. So, uh, I'm going to hand over to Daniel. Hello everyone, Uh, I'm Daniel. Uh, I'm part of this writing group uh, from Leeds East Academy. We are here to tell you guys a few stories and I'd like to introduce everyone. So, hello, uh, what's your name again? (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe they should introduce themselves. That's probably the best thing. Yeah, let's go round and introduce ourselves. So, first of all, yeah. Hi, my name's Tyler and I've participated in this writing group. I've written a few stories that I'm going to read later on. Hi, I'm Miss Clark. I'm a lead practitioner of literacy at Leeds East Academy and I've been working with Peter and the group to get their stories together. Hello, my name is Jack Jones and I'm a part of this writing group. I'm 14 years old and... yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You could tell us lots more, obviously, but that's okay. You might have a chance to later on. I'm Peter and I work here at Chapel FM. I have a very dignified um, title of Director of Words Um, and that means I just do lots of wordy stuff which I really love so I'm going to pass on to the person on my left. Hi I'm Brodie and I love creative writing and it's one of my favourite things to do at school. Hi I'm Hamad and um, I'm not the biggest fan of writing but I do like story ideas. And Hamad since we've got you there you're on the mic tell us a little if you would about this group. Um we all um, are from Leeds Academy, which is just around the corner from here. Uh, we all participated for to do a writing group together to write some stories, talk about some books, and just have a good time. Uh, sometimes Peter gives us ideas of what to write. Like, for example, he told us about a key, and then we wrote stories based on that. Quite right. I've, I, all, all I've done, really, is to come in and say, how about this for a, a writing idea? It doesn't take more than, I would say, 30 seconds before the pens get scribbling. They're a really fantastic group of young people, of young writers, and they produce some really beautiful writing, which we're going to hear uh, some of this afternoon. There's also five more members of the group who aren't here today. So... To begin with, we're going to hear some of the writing that people have been doing, and we'll start with uh, Tyler, with you. So this is my story, the book. Uh, I wrote it after Peter gave us the idea about a book that's gone missing at the library. So I'm going to start reading it now. The book theorised to withhold a hundred souls. The magic book, as stupid and absurd as it sounds. With my magic company failing, I needed some real flair, something to attract an audience. To my surprise, it worked. Within days, lights began to flicker off my fingers. Sparkles would form through the air, glimmering in the sun's beam. Whilst it happened, the voice began, echoing through my guilt-ridden brain. At first weak, but more vivid over time. I thought it was to the, my conscience to begin with, the guilt I felt for the theft of my dearest friend, the person who relieved me from so much trouble. Then I realised it was the book, called out to me, begging for company. I returned its request, it taught me spells and we developed a friendship. But now it's gone. The entity responsible for my newfound fame and wealth. My assistant in show business. The book was gone and I know just who to blame. Lovely. Thank you very much, Tyler. Yes, that was really all, all I asked people to do was to consider a library. Think about a library. And if there was one book that was missing, what's the missing book? Who's it mean something to? And you, they ran with it. Really lovely piece of writing. Thanks, Tyler. So, uh, yeah, Brody, you've got a piece to read. This is called The Old Key. The old key given to Hades by Zeus, the key to the underworld to keep the titans and the three-headed dog, maybe some sirens from Mount Olympus. The least deadliest of the three uh, is the three-headed dog Cerberus. The, the most deadliest would have to be the sirens who kill people with their voices. One day, Hades, out of anger, released them to and killed all the gods. That day, Athens fell to the ground. Brody, tell us that you, you really into Greek mythology. So, so tell us about that. Why do you like it so much? Well, Greek mythology, I learned about in year four. I found it quite interesting in how 
people of Athens or places around Greece made worship these gods and all the gods had different jobs. For example, Hades ruled the underworld. Zeus made sure everyone stayed in place. Wonderful. Apart from anything else, they're great stories, aren't they? Yeah. Really good. But lots of brutality and uh, death and destruction. Yeah. Which is great. <laughs> Obviously in a story. So thanks very much, Brody. Brilliant stuff. Now, we've also... Uh, uh, we, we're a book group as well as a writing group. We talk about writing. We talk about literature. We talk about stories that we like and stories that we're reading. So, Hamad, tell us about a book you've really enjoyed recently. Um, recently, I read The Shapeshifter. It's a series about a boy who discovers he has magical powers and goes to a school similar to, like, Harry Potter, except they all have their own individual skills. And he develops his powers better over time. He starts, like, his first power is to shift into a fox. And eventually he develops other animals too. He has to learn how to control these. And um, it's a very interesting book. The first one is called Finding the Fox. It's an orange book with, like, a tunnel. A boy running through, that being Dax, uh, the shapeshifter. And a fox spelling around to symbol him shapeshifting. I'm just wondering if it links to Greek mythology in some way. Was there some shapeshifters in Greek mythology? Brody? No, they were mainly just gods, and then you had humans who had were like kids of the gods in a way, but kind of not. And Hamada, I was interested about what you said. You 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 weren't a great fan of writing, and yet you've written some really really good stuff. And you've jo- you joined a writing group. So how's that? Um, I think it's a very like good thing. It's a lot more open. Because um, having some ideas is really nice, but when you get them on paper, it feels much better knowing that you've got it somewhere. Hello, you're listening to East Leeds FM. This is Jack, and I'm going to be asking Miss Clark some questions. What is your job role? So, my job role is lead practitioner of literacy at Leeds East Academy. So, I oversee um, reading, writing, vocabulary, oracy, and sort of what we put in place to drive that with pupils, which is why... Um, I met with Peter from Chapel FM and we got this writing group together. Okay, um, interesting. <laughs> um, what university did you go to? So I actually went to Leeds Beckett University for my undergraduate, so in the centre of Leeds. And then I did a ski season because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And then I went to the University of Birmingham to do a Master's in Shakespeare Studies. Okay, and one more question. What's your favourite book? Oh, my favourite book. I'd say my favourite book is one called I Am Pilgrim. So it's quite a, it's a hefty book, but it's about a murder that's taken place in New York and a man that's out in Afghanistan. And it's about how those two stories come together. It's a real page turner. It is quite a big book, about 800 pages, but definitely worth it afterwards. What made you want to become an English teacher? Well, I always remember my English teacher at school, Miss Britton, if you're listening to this. Mm-hmm. Um she was one of the best teachers I ever had and she made me realise how much I enjoyed English literature and I went to do English literature at university and then became a teacher so I could help other pupils enjoy literature as well. So any any recommendations of what you're reading at the moment, Miss Clark? Personally, or yeah. no, work? You, yeah. Personally, I'm reading a lot of non-fiction at the minute. So I'm reading The Diet Myth by Tim Spector. Mm-hmm. So all about your health and your microbiome and sort of looking at healthy foods that you should eat and then I've started another one called The Surgeon I can't remember who that's by but it's about a woman who is a surgeon she's got an impeccable track record but she's just killed her first patient on the table so I don't know any more than that I'm only about 100 pages in but it's really hooked me so far I'd say I'd probably say my favorite writer is Shakespeare that is obviously what I did my master's degree and I was very fortunate that I could do that as a specialism. I think as well, just because the language is so rich and you can get so much meaning from it. And as well, a lot of that language we use today without even realising, like I've really got a passion for words and what they mean and how it links. Um, so I think that's why I like analysing Shakespeare because then we can look at the creative writing that we do today and, and steal from it and lift ideas from it. Brilliant. And I think, Brody, you're a bit of a fan, fan of Shakespeare, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Any particular plays you, you like? Macbeth. I really enjoyed re- looking at last year and probably Richard III. Earlier, Tyler mentioned about the missing book and um, this is the story I wrote about it. 
I have the book, said a teenager wearing a black cap with constellations all over. His sneakers were covered in mud. They slowed him down, but he kept on going. The real one, answered a slightly younger girl. You know what happened last time? She panted as she ran for her life. Okay, mistakes can happen, but he's on my tail. He barely spoke, wanting to stop. Just keep it in your hand so he can't take it away. She replied, realizing he couldn't run anymore. Both of them came to a stop, seeing that they were on a cliff. This mysterious man wearing a full purple suit with a white shirt and a purple bow tie was running on air. It was like he didn't care about anything other than the book. Open it, said said the girl. Are you insane? This thing could end the world with one word, he responded. Mark, we don't have a choice, shouted the girl. As she spoke, the ground suddenly started to break, and the girl fell. Swinging her arms around, she tried to grab onto something. Alex, shouted Mark, as he held out, held out his hand and grabbed her, only to fall into the abyss. Yes, lovely. I really, li- I really like the way you incorporate dialogue into your writing. I think mm. you're very good at that. Uh, so thank you very much indeed. This is called She Woke Up. She woke up in another in another land, people surrounding her. A few people standing, one of them with a bow and arrow, one of them with a metal arm, another with an iron suit. The person that stood out the most was a woman in a black fighting suit, with guns at e- either side of her waist. Um, a man walked in and out of the room, and when she, when she looked out the window, she saw New York. She rubbed her eyes in disbelief. This was the MCU, almost known as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So how did that come about, that piece of writing? Well, we're in one of the sessions you give us the starting sentences, walk up in another world, and the first thing that came up to my mind was, I love Marvel, and that's what came into my mind. Thank you, wonderful stuff. So we're going to move on to Jack, and this is a piece that you wrote outside the session, but we're still going to let you read it. Uh, so it's uh, tell us about it how did it come about well I was in a workshop with a teacher at my school called Miss Buchanan and um, we were doing poems and stuff so this is and I've written in there and I've updated it a bit since climate change spreads like a virus a disease the cure just runs away once we get it contained it breaks free and heads to the nearest tree to destroy it to take it down it feeds a virus it brings it joy it's like a drug addictive the access to adrenaline the access to joy Blue skies massed with pollution, overpopulation, and blanketing the overflow of plastic in the streets. The clear ocean, what must have been a dream? Our planet is just like a filthy window, needs wiping clean. The starting point to all this, that's easy to answer as human being. It only takes a second to look which bin through your waist. If we all work together, we can stop climate change. It's a lovely line about the planet is a, di- is a dirty window, needs yeah, to clean. Needs wiping clean. That's a beautiful line, isn't it? It's really lovely. Thank you very much, Jack. Thanks. Fantastic. Okay, we're going to hear some book reviews now. So let's, yeah. So, Brody, you, you tell us about a book that you like, and then we're going to come to Daniel. I read in this book called Unbirthed. It's a twisted version of Alice in Wonderland, and it's like, what if Wonderland was in peril and Alice was never lit? I've only just reread it because it's reread it because I haven't read it in a while. But so far, it's about. Alice is 18 year old and does this, she literally goes, it's basically like Alice in Wonderland just with a little bit of a twist in a way. So basically she goes into Wonderland but she's on time this time and that's all I've read up to. But it's got a red cover and it's really like shimmery and on the cover it's the Queen of Hearts in black. And um, yeah, I mean do you do you reread <coughs> books? Yeah. What about other people? Do you? Because I, I think, oh, there are so many books to read. I better not reread a book because I think should be writing it, writing, uh, reading a new one. What about you? I never used to, but then my friend said every three books she then reread a book, and actually I started doing the same, and I enjoy it. I get feel like I get a lot more out of the book the second time I read it. I, I don't reread books because knowing what's already happened gets rid of the thrill of the excitement of seeing what's going to happen on the next page. That's a very good point. Yeah, thank you. So, Daniel, yes, what's, what about your book? Hello. I'd like, to talk, I'd, I'd like to take a few minutes to talk about a series that I am a massive fan of. I am an avid reader of manga, and probably one of my absolute favorite series to come out of that medium is Full Metal Alchemist. Full Metal Alchemist is a story about two brothers, Edward and Alphonse, 
whose bodies were torn apart by the science of alchemy when they tried to resurrect their deceased mother. Due to this incident, the two brothers are now broken and in a state of depression, and their only goal in life is to find a way to become whole again. The story has has a, a steampunk setting, with a lot of strange technology and European style aesthetics. Uh, it's also it's also an allegory for real life events such as the Second World War, as it does include some imagery from those uh, that war. And it's an extremely dark, realistic, and philosophical story that looks into the nature of human beings themselves. What is the price of a human soul? What is the value of life? And is the cycle of violence really the answer? There's a lot to say about Full Metal Alchemist, and I've learned a lot from it. It has a really inspiring life lesson by the end, and the journey is extremely satisfying. I'd recommend it to everyone who's into comics and manga especially. It's a staple of the medium. A round of applause, that was all in one breath. Wonderful stuff. Uh, I'm going to read a couple of other pieces that I've written. Uh, My first being chips. It came from an idea that... Peter gave us where we came up with a food that we really liked and almost wrote um, a letter or a poem about how much we miss it after not eating it. So this is chips. The salt I sprinkled, the vinegar I poured, the fish that stood by your side, the texture that satisfied my hunger, a rainbow of tasteful colours on my tongue. I miss you, chips, but I don't think you will miss me, the person who ate you every day. I've also got a second piece that I'm going to read, a lot lot darker than the first. Uh, It's called The Bus, and it was from another idea Peter gave us when starting sentence saying, if I hadn't missed that bus. So, if I hadn't missed that bus, the man who ruined my life would be limp on the floor. He took credit for my revolutionary technology, and for that, he will pay. The knife will be deep in his heart, and maybe a grin will form on my face as I realise that my revenge is taken. We're coming towards the end of the programme, uh, or at least this part of the programme. So, um, we haven't heard so far, we haven't heard yet, I should say, from Daniel on what he's been writing. So this is a bit of an epic, isn't it, Daniel? Yeah. Do you want to say anything about it, or are you just going to read it? I'll, I'll, I'll just uh, talk about my inspiration for it. Uh, this is an original story that I came up with by myself, but there are two characters that are taken from uh, an anime series that I'm a big fan of, uh, Vinland Saga. I'm a huge fan of that series, and two two central characters are from that series, and I just took their names and put them in the se- put put them in the story, and that's basically it. it's a story I came up with, and yeah, I'd like to introduce it as the Leviathan. It's gone! Find it! The cunning party of Icelandic explorers battled the aggressive waves of fury off the coast of France. They had managed to secure and capture a leviathan of abnormal size. It was as long as a Viking battleship and as thick as a horse's neck. It even weighed the same as three cattle. It was a faint pain to finally capture it. The children... Ch- Man. The creature had reared its hideous head off the coast of their rural village and attacked the defenseless women and children. Finally, it was knocked out by the largest man in the village, Thorkel the Tall, a former Viking warrior and master tactician. Unfortunately, the serpent was eager to escape the clutches of the village, and just as they were about to cook it for the night's feast, it attacked its captives and slithered away into the darkness. All hope seemed to be lost, but Thorkel stepped up to meet the challenge that this threat posed, and looked it in the eye, declaring, A beast of that caliber deserves to be treated with respect, and by respect, I mean we must make an effort to hunt it down and secure it once more. The party was enthusiastic at at the statement, but now as they drowned in the endless rain, they wondered what they were thinking. The captain of the hunting party, the legendary Leif Erikson, cackled with delight as he spotted the creature riding the waves as if it was a boat itself. Dive into the water and don't let us escape! The anxious explorers looked at him with a mix of confusion and disgust, but they did it anyway. They knew the lecture they would get from the old man was a far worse punishment than having to get a little wet. He didn't look like much, but he was a true warrior. 
Thorkel plunged into the deep, cold waters alongside his fearful peers. Death was around the corner, but this kind of excitement was something Thorkel had not felt in a long time. He wanted to laugh as loud as he could, but even he wasn't foolish enough to try that underwater, so he managed a wide smile instead. The rest of the explorers were constricted by the heavy waves. The water felt like arms hugging them until their throats became shells of their former selves. A few gave up and let the aggressive currents of the ocean drag them into the depths of hell. Thorkel quickly swam over, however, and saved them from their miserable fates. He picked them up and threw them to the ship where Leif was watching with insanity written all over his face. Thorkel glared at him for putting his men at risk, but still decided to pursue the beast. He could do this on his own. He was Thorkel the Tall, the greatest warrior in the Baltic Sea. All of a sudden, he spotted it. Its tail swang like a magnificent, sharp, shiny sword made of the most durable material imaginable. Thorkel swam like an arrow and grabbed onto the creature, trying to drag it towards the now distant boat. Its cries of resistance echoed all around. The Leviathan's sheer size and its powerful attempts to break free almost killed Thorkel right then and there, but he did not give up. Not when the entire village was counting on him. The beast moved like nothing Thorkel had ever encountered before. It was almost otherworldly to him. Even so, he poured every ounce of strength he had, to the point that his tunic ripped to pieces into dragging the powerful beast to the boat, and eventually, he won the magnificent game of tug-of-war. He had played with it. The next day, the hunting party arrived at the village. Thorkel carried the large head of the beast and presented it to the villagers. The reactions he got was a mix of shock and awe, just what he wanted. Leif declared to the village, Tonight we shall have this magnificent specimen for a great feast. Thorkel himself will eat the majority and the rest will be divided between everyone else. Thorkel frowned at this. He didn't wish to steal this precious meal away from his beloved villagers, and so he spoke up. Ericsson, I refuse to eat anything but the head of the creature. I captured it just for them, and I do not wish to ruin their fun. Leif frowned for just a split second before quietly nodding and rubbing his nose. Once again, Thorkel had proven himself to be a gentle giant. Wow, wonderful epic stuff. And yeah, I hope that's just the first chapter of a uh, a novel in seven different parts. Yep. <laughs> Followed by a film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great stuff. Directed by me. Directed by you. So, yeah, well done, everybody, for reading, talking today. This is your first radio broadcast. They've done very, very well. So, finally, we've um, before we sign off this afternoon, because you have to go back to school. Oh, no. What a shame. Oh, no, you love it, really. So, that's the end of the uh, broadcast. I love the words from Leeds East Academy, the writing group. So, I'm going to ask everybody to say goodbye. So... Cheerio. Adios, mi amigos. Ta-ra. Thanks and bye. Thank you for listening to East Leeds FM. Thank you for listening to some amazing stories wrote by us. Love the control. Love the command. Love the space bar and the hard return. Love the words from East Leeds FM. From Seacroft, East Leeds, Leeds, Yorkshire, Europe, the world, the universe, the multiverse, writing on air.
Thank you very much. Lovely to be uh, here up in Studio 3, our radio theatre. We've had the first of our live events this afternoon, which was really, really good. It was brilliant. A piece of kind of experimental, in-progress theatre and musings on the theme of Jerusalem, as in the Blake poem, as in the song. And I thoroughly recommend going back and listening to it. You can listen to everything on the website, as from probably tomorrow, but do listen to to that. It was great. And we've got programmes and we've got events all the way through up to about 10 o'clock tonight. So massive to look forward to. And thank you for coming along here in the live audience, um, but also for listening and also for watching because we're being live streamed as well but now it's a real pleasure to introduce uh, Irene Lofthouse who's an old friend of Chapel FM has done lots here in the past but this is a piece she's going to tell you about I'm sure that is new it's uh, uh, you can take the girl out of Ireland give a round of applause please for Irene Lofthouse And he stood in the middle of the personal products department in the supermarket some weeks after a mini stroke. Short trip to get a walk in, out and about again, um, and to choose the right products, not the wrong ones, that I kept taking back for her. So I got her out there, and she's in the middle of the supermarket aisle, and out she comes, as loud as you could possibly hear with, Ah, the five Fs! Now, I'd got used to Mam's comments, strange comments, over the years, things like, oh, I'll be going up Shawnee's. Going up Shawnee's what? What does that mean? She didn't ever give me an answer. Or, standing there like cheese at fourpence. Does that mean it's good cheese? Because it's a lot of money? Or does it mean it's bad cheese and it's all green and it's cheap? We don't know. Or, red and green should never be seen. So here I am wearing red and green in honour of my mum. Um, So this is a story about my mum. We've got a theme here about home. And here is mum. You can't quite see her, but you can have a look at her later on. This is my mum from Ireland. And here she is with a rifle and a very bloodstained pinny. And this is a picture that we found after she died. Because when you're going through all that stuff in somebody's house you suddenly come across lots of things. And we found lots and lots of negatives of a box brownie, the box brownie that I have at home. And I got them developed. And this was one of the pictures. And at the wake, my sister, who's a generation younger than me, who's a vegetarian, now a vegan, saw this and went, she's got a rifle! What's she doing with a rifle? And what's all that stains all over her pinny? Well, that'll be blood, Diane, you know? And she lived on a farm, because that's really all I knew about my mum when I was a youngster. I'll just put that down. Because when you're at home with somebody, you don't actually hear their accent all that time, because it's around you all the time. Um, And we lived in Bradford, where I was born. But all I really knew was that she came from Ireland. And the other one that she also used to say, one of her sayings was, I haven't a bull's notion. I only know two notions that bulls have. One of that is to absolutely trample you to death when you're walking through a field, and the other one is procreating. So I have no idea why, what she was thinking of when she said, I haven't a bull's notion, (gasps) as she'd say. Um, And she was a bit of a mystery to me. Uh, There were lots of us. Um, There were, I come from a family of seven. Um, There were four lads before me, then me, then a lad, and then a lass. And I don't know whether it was to do with expectations or not, about what a girl should be, um, I have no idea. But we had a fraught relationship. I don't remember a lot of my relationship with my mum when I'm a child at all. I've only got instances, images. In fact, actually, looking at some of the pictures from the box brownie of me, I don't recognise me. I don't even think that I look like me. But the brothers tell me that it's me, so I have to believe them, because it could be somebody else. So... I've been thinking about memory. I do a lot of writing. I'm a writer. I'm a storyteller. I'm a social historian. I collect and do projects on oral history. I go out and tell hidden histories and secret stories. And then it kind of came to me. Because I tell people at the end of stuff when I'm doing things, you know, your story's unique. You ought to be writing this down. You know, that box that you've got in your attic that you've inherited from your mum, your dad, your gran. 
There'll be something in there for me as a social historian that is gold dust. And then I kind of thought, why am I not doing it then? Telling everybody else to do it, and I haven't done any of this, so maybe I ought to start thinking about it. And so during the pandemic, I actually did start to do some uh, some courses on memoir. Um, one with um, Leeds Beckett University, uh, which was actually a project about women uh, creatively aging, aging creatively, even though nobody liked that title but about how often changed for us over time. And a lot of the exercises that they used while we were doing that were about memoir, about what do you remember, to, to dig deep into those memories. And a lot of the things that came out were about my relationship with my mum. And as I started to write about the memoir, which was initially about my birth, which I'll say in a minute, um, I suddenly realised as I looked at it and talked to other people who were on the course who went, whose memoir is this? Is this my memoir? Is it my mum's memoir? Is it a memoir about both of us, our identity, our relationship, our sense of belonging and the similarities that we'd had and actually the things that if we'd have shared, we might have had a better relationship. And coming back to things about expectations... Um, she came from, I know she came from a farm, and later on she told me that her family had lived in Virginia, in Ireland, for over 300 years. And where we lived when I was growing up was on a big estate. It's now called a sink estate, but it wasn't the same as that in the 50s and the 60s, early 60s. And it's by lots and lots of woodland, it's by farms, and I think she felt at home there, because she could walk into the woods to Ravenscliff Farm and discuss cabbages and cows and milking. And we got the milk from churns, because they still had them then, you know, and you could go take your cabbages and your spuds home and all that kind of thing. So I think that kind of linked for her. Um, but coming back to the memoir and about me and her, um, was the story of my birth is that it's the late 50s, we're in a house on the estate. Somewhere in this house are four brothers. No idea where they are, because nobody ever told me where they were. However, my mother is in the living room under the table, heavily pregnant with me. In fact, contractions have started. There's an open fire in front. John Boy, my dad, who is supposed to be going to get the midwife, who will go, yeah, I'm not doing that though, am I? Not till I've had my hair done. And I've got myself shaved and sorted, and then I'll go. I'll go get the midwife, and then I'll leave you to it. So off he went, and he did get a midwife, who came sometime later, apparently, as my mother's still under the table, contracting out and out. She's been a nurse. She's already delivered four children. She's delivered any number of animals, so she knows what's happening. And the midwife came, who apparently was drunk, but decided, my mother under the table, go, you know, that needs filling with hot water, so get it done now, because she's coming, it's coming soon, it's coming soon. So the woman does and fills a plastic bucket and puts it in front of the open fire. Think of what happens there. My mother's going, the fuck are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, and apparently goes into labour with me, who comes out with umbilical cords strapped around my neck that she then had to sort out because the midwife is fast asleep in the chair. So I think that maybe the expectations of what a girl would be and wouldn't be as much trouble as the boys kind of started there, really, with me, with the umbilical. And I also remember her saying to me about, oh, you were born on a Thursday. Well, when I started the memoir and I looked it up, I wasn't. So I didn't have far to go. Apparently, I'm fair of face because I was born on a Tuesday, full of grace, in fact. So that bit about remembering and understanding and were what you were telling me actually true or not? I don't know. So I decided that I was going to think about my mum and Ireland. And because my three eldest brothers were born in Ireland, and then the rest of us are born in Bradford, where exactly is our home and who are we? My mum was Irish, 300 years. On my dad's side, second generation Irish. Does that make me a Bradfordian? Does it make me English, the three eldest? I've got Irish passports, we've got English ones. So it's kind of looking at about that. Um, I know the expectation she was there. One of the things, for example, is 
Apparently my sister told me when I was about 45 that I stand in front of a mirror and close my eyes while I do my hair. And so I had never realized this, that my eyes are literally closed whilst I am plaiting my hair. And I think that is because that's what my mum used to do. All that time through childhood with my hair down my back, she plaited, she did my hair. So anytime I'm stood there, she is literally there behind me because that's how I'm doing my hair. So although I don't think we've got that connection, there is that connection. Um, she was there with all my accidents, because I had loads of them, um, falling off walls, playing off ground tig and breaking your wrists, slicing your artery open and filling the kitchen with blood, um, all, all sorts, falling out of trees and all sorts of things. And I know that she was there, um, but I don't have any pictures of it at all. Um, things that she used to say as well that were to do with her being in Ireland, like you'd say, well, what do you think about this, ma'am? Ah, San Ferian to it. San Ferian? Mother, you're speaking French. What do you mean I'm speaking French? San Ferian? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Saint de fer rien means nothing at all. Or don't you be touching those, you'll weed the bed. Yes, the dandelions, the pissoir, because that's what they are, mother, they're diuretic. They are dents de lion. The teeth of the lion. More French, because a hometown, Virginia, in Ireland, in Cavern, allegedly, we're still trying to work this out, or I am, was a garrison town for Lizzie I against the French. Said, so somewhere deep in your psyche, there is that French. She wouldn't have it. Well, we never did any of that at school. I didn't do any of that. No English stuff. We didn't do that. I'm an Irish Protestant in Catholic Ireland as it became, because Cavan was going to be one of the six, the, the, the northern counties. So I didn't know anything really much about her until my thirties, when that was the first time that I went to Ireland with her. So cue music maestro. going to Ireland West and as we got further and further towards Hollyhead the accent changed the Bradfordian bit started to disappear the Yorkshire bit bearing in mind that she'd now lived in uh, England for twice as long as she'd lived in Ireland but of course we were going home because it was always home once we got on the boat across it thickened and thickened again. And as soon as we got off and met Bella, my cousin, the wife of my cousin, that was it. As, as thick as you can be, straight back into being the Irish. And that was it. And off we went, there, there, there. I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I, do, I just don't understand what you're talking about. And who's this and who's that and who's died and who's this and, and that and the other. And as soon as we got to the farm, because the family over there still have the farm, and I never met a single one of them at all. So I'm already in my mid-30s, never met uh, most of the family. I met one brother down in London, and that was it. Um, so we get there, and they got the accents gone. She's back into the rhythm of the farm. She's out to see the cows. She's going for a chat. She's got back into, yes, well, all the lads have their food before we do. What? What? What are you on about? I sit down and we come in and we just make it all. I come from, and, and I'd come from the house where we've all got the lads and there's me for several years until I were 11. There were just me and five lads. I'm, I'm not sitting down before, they're not sitting down before me. I'm having it, you know. If I'm doing washing up and tidying and all the rest of it, I'm eating food at the same time. No, no, what they do here is the lads, because they're the workers. They all, what do you mean they're the workers? You've just been out doing the cows. Right, okay, I need to step back and just watch and observe, because this is not the woman that's at home. For the start, she's laughing. 
and we just didn't get very much laughter at home. And because she'd left several times, and by the time I'm 30 now, she hadn't lived at home for years and years and years, was really interesting just seeing her doing that. Um, so it was, you know, who got married, who died, uh, who'd had children, who'd not had children, who divorced, you know, all of that kind of thing. Um, and then a few days later, she told us that, um, Bella, my cousin, told us that there was, um, oh, now, there's going to be a fundraiser at the rugby club, because Virginia, for those of you that don't know it, in fact, when I got there, I thought, I'm in Bingley, because it just looked like Bingley to me. There's a straight street, there's the church at the end, there's yew trees, and it just looked like an English village street, and maybe that's the, the kind of Irish Protestantism that, uh, that she had, my mum. Um, but there's also a massive lake, and we were there. It was August bank holiday, and you could walk down to the lake, Lake Rama, um, and I'm sitting there on my tod at this lake, and it's bank holiday, and I'm thinking, Windermere, Grassmere, Buttermere, you won't be able to move in the Lake District, and there's me and this lake. It was fantastic. And with a Michelin, uh, three-star Michelin restaurant next to it and golf course, I'm going, where's the people? And there's a, a sports club on the lakeside. This is where they were going to have um, the fundraiser. Uh, and it's a tea dance. Okay, says I. Right, okay. So three o'clock, you know, I'm English. There is this bit of English in me. Three o'clock. That's when you have a tea dance. Three o'clock. We're going down. So we're going down to... No, sure, it's too early yet. Okay, right. Five o'clock. Uh, tea dance. No, no, it's too early yet, says Bella. Right, okay, I'll just go play with the cats then. I'll talk to Fiona, my second cousin, who's 14, um, and catch up and have a you know journey around the farm and all that kind of thing. Uh, and then we're sitting down listening to the news at 7 o'clock, uh, and this is the news, and da-da-da. Oh, and just so everybody knows, Mrs. O'Shaughnessy's remains will be removed by 8 o'clock tonight. So you have until 8 o'clock tonight to see her. And Mr. O'Toole's, his remains will be removed. I'm sitting there listening, going, What's, what does this mean? So I've got to ask, you know, what does remains will be removed mean? Well, the coffin. Obviously, the coffin will be removed thinking, you don't get this on BCB or Chapel FM radio in Bradford and Leeds, do you? The remains will be removed. Right, okay, very different. So, uh, nine o'clock at night, I'm going, so this, this tea dance, we've missed it then. Have we missed it? No, no, uh, give it about another hour and that'll be about right. Right, okay. So we wandered down at 10 o'clock to the tea dance uh, in the sports club uh, there's no pavements at all as you're walking down the road, so we're on the road itself, everybody chatting, it's very dark. We get there, and it is a tea dance. Yes, in the corner, there is a combo playing music. There is a whole row of food that people have made, sausage rolls, cakes, etc. There's a big tea urn, there's coffee, uh, lasses are dancing together in the corner while the music's playing and Fiona, my second cousin, 14, sitting down, um, and this is kind of like 30 years ago now, and she's going, so Irene, uh, is it like this, you know, the dancing and things where you are? And I'm going, no, if all those lasses were dancing together uh, where I am, it'd be a very different kind of dance place we'd be at. Oh, what does that mean? Uh, I'll tell you later, Fiona, I'll tell you later. Um, so we, we're having tea, we're having a chat, people are getting up, dancing, etc. And then at about half past 11, because it's divided is this room, the dividers open because the rugby clads have just come in. And then all of a sudden, so there's a big, you know, chaos of noise and all the rest of it. And then Bella realises that the bar's open. What the fe The bar's open. What the feck are we doing sitting here drinking feckin' tea when the feckin' bar's open? Fiona, Fiona, go. Go now and get the drinks. You know what I'd have? Yeah, mine's, mine's a brandy. And you know, you know what uh, Millie will have? Uh, Millie's having a, um, a brandy and baby sham. And she herself, me, will have a white wine. So off goes Fiona. Bar's not bothered that she's only, you know, 14. And I'm looking at my mother going, brandy and baby sham? She didn't drink... She don't drink brandy and baby sham. She don't drink, you know, a little sherry now and again, you know, if they come round and we're all sitting there having a chat about who's doing what and da-da-da-da on Revo and elsewhere. And I'm, right, okay, brandy and baby sham. And my mother's 
absolutely in her element. She's talking to everybody. There's all these people that she hasn't met, people from school that she was at in Billis and all the rest of it for some time. Uh, chat, 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 having a right laugh, looks round. She's probably on a fourth branding baby sham by now. And I'm thinking, this is not the woman that I know at all, kind of getting louder and louder as the music gets louder and louder. And then, then comes this chap comes up to her and leans over while we're all sitting and goes, hello there, Mrs. Woman. What? 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 And, and she looks at him, me ma'am, she's looking at her, hello there, Mrs. Woman. Not seen you for years. Shall we dance Deloitte Fandango? Deloitte Fandango? And up she gets. My mother, dancing. I'm in my mid-thirties. I have never once seen her dance in my life. And off she is. For the next two or three hours, she's branding baby shamming and dancing and moving around these chaps. This is a chap, apparently, that she'd been at school with. Uh, and I'm, she's laughing. And I, I cannot believe that this is the same woman. She's telling jokes. She's, you know, the life and soul of the party. Is, and I'm having to rethink and think about what my mum was like at home when I was growing up and thinking about whether or not this is what life would have been like if they hadn't been moved to Bradford with the three eldest bro brothers that were born in Ireland. What would life have been like had we stayed in Ireland? What would life have been like if she just stayed there and I had never existed? Which for a lot of people would probably have been a good thing. Um, and particularly for her. I mean, I also used to say to her, why have you called me out? Where did Irene come from? My name. Where? There is no other Irene in the family. And let's face it, mother, Irene is the Greek goddess of peace. And you never got any of that from me. So where did it come from? And strangely, when she was uh, in um, Bradford, I appeared eventually. And so she wrote to her sister, who she had not seen for years and years in Ireland, to tell her that she'd got a lass at last. And her sister wrote back and went, well, 18 months ago, I had a lass at last, and I called her Irene. There are no Irenes in the family. I've done the family tree. There aren't any. So really weird. So we're there, we're dancing, all the rest of it. So, oh, look, it's five o'clock in the morning. It's five o'clock in the morning and we're still there, we're still dancing, she's still dancing, having a right good time. And then the, the bloke who was doing the music went, oh, right, well, uh, I think they want us to go now. So, I tell you what, there's all this still here, there's all the food still here, so we're not going until it's all sold. So we're going to have an auction. So who'll give us a pound? Who'll give us a pound for Mrs. Tennessee's cake? Who'll give us a pound for this and the sausage rolls? And there's a lad there, I'll not uh, name him, who'd been working on the farm with him uh, back at Bella's farm, uh, who was on the dole, who lived in the old house that some of my mum's folks used to live in. And basically him and his mum lived on spuds. You never saw his mum at all. I mean, very kind of stereotypical, but it was. So uh, the lad... Uh, seeing all this food, you know, because it makes a change from spuds, you know, mashed potatoes and all the rest of it. Well, he's dancing up and down, putting his... I'm nearly kicking everything over here now. He's dancing up and down and down. Me, 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 me. I will, I will. Me, 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 me. So he's stuffing cake in his pockets, in his inside pockets and everything. And then right at the very end, there's just some sausage rolls left. And me mum... Millie, or Mrs. Woman, as she became known after this, this is well, then after this, was like, So, where are you going to put those then? Uh, uh, I know, I'll put them down here. So, it's just bulging everywhere uh, down his trousers. And my mother is absolutely wetting herself, totally, totally wetting herself. I've never seen a laugh like that. Never seen her so sociable, so uh, in with people, having such a good time with all these people that she knew. So for me, I'm the outsider now because I don't know any of these people. I don't even know my family. And to see her in there was like, this is where you should have probably stopped. And six o'clock, we're kind of on the way home. But actually, uh, my other half was going to meet me on that particular day, in the morning, driving down after the uh, the ferry had got in. So I thought, there's no point in me walking all the way back to the farm to then walk all the back to Virginia again to meet him. So I said, I'll just stop in the town, you go back. And all I could hear 
as she was walking back down with Bella and Fiona with arms linked in the dawn was her singing. Country roads, take me home to the place I belong. My mother's singing. She's dancing, singing and brandy and baby shamming. And from that was, I think, the first time, having shared that, that we actually started to have a relationship that was more of an adult relationship, more of what we could share together, because I saw her do crosswords and reading and things that we could share that we had never done before. So taking her out of a usual milieu back into home really made a difference. And because she loved that song, she couldn't stand Irish music. Diddly dee, diddly dee, diddly dee, diddly dee, diddly dee, dee. Can't stand it. But um, the country and western, which was all that was played at Bella's, when she died, that was the music that we played. And she is buried back at home. And there's a, another story about that, which will some, at some stage take part in this memoir, because it's a work in progress to discover the similarities. Because as I went through uh, later on talking to her as she aged, was all about her difficulties with having periods, uh, the problems that she had. Uh, she was a carer for her mother. I ended up caring for the household, looking after my sister when my mum disappeared. Uh, why she didn't leave earlier, I don't know, but that's a different story. So we had a lot in common that we'd never shared, and it was only in, then, once I'd been to Ireland with her, and I could see the similarities in us that we could discuss. So this is a work in progress. I do have some pictures of here of her in Ireland um, because that was a revelation to us when she died because even my brothers had never seen the pictures of themselves as babies. So uh, in um, memoriam to Mrs. Woman, uh, as she was forevermore, I'm going to finish again with a rendition for her, which you'll absolutely hear, of Country Roads, take me home to the place I belong, West Virginia, mountain mama, take me home, country roads. Thank you. From Seacroft, East Leeds, Leeds, Yorkshire, Europe, the world, the universe, the multiverse, writing on air. <laughs> 